Welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Monday, May 4th. Shout out to all you Star Wars nerds. And we're back in your ear holes, ready to break down the latest two episodes of the hit documentary series, The Last Dance. I'm J.E. Skeets, and joining us here on the horn, we got Tass Mellis. Here we go. Just got to go to my golf game in a minute. Let's get this done. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. The international man of mystery taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friend. <laughs> Last but not least, making the magic happen is JD. Hello. There he is, and here we are. Well, those were some fun episodes of The Last Dance. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite episodes so far, I feel like there's so much to uh, tackle and break down with episodes five and six, and we'll tackle them one at a time in terms of episodes. Episode five, we get, you know, we start with the in loving memory of Kobe, and we get Kobe very early in this, and we get the 98 All-Star Game at MSG. And I say right away it was my favorite maybe episode of the whole bunch so far because the archival footage that we got was like basketball porn for people like us. <laughs> like this, this behind the scenes stuff in the locker room with the MJ bird and magic and stuff like this. I just absolutely was eating it up. I don't know about the rest of you guys. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I thought that, um, the subject matter of five and six was pretty well-worn territory, but they really beefed it up by bringing the behind the scenes footage, like from mm-hmm. the all-star game, uh, when Seinfeld comes in the locker room, when you see Jordan, you know, plotting his uh, flag over the shoulder. These are things that I don't remember ever seeing, and that's uh, that's what really elevated the episodes to me. Final game at Madison Square Garden for MJ was surprising to me in that, yeah, he threw it back to the Air Jordan 1s, like the first time he played in Madison Square Garden, and he bled in them, and he had a great game. He bled in them because shoe technology has come a long way, as he said. What I was surprised to see was that he got the shoe fresh, no laces, and he was sitting in the locker room lacing it from the bottom all the way to the top. I was surprised by that. I didn't think a superstar would be lacing his shoes <laughs> yeah, all the way it, from the He does from it the later in the, uh, one of the episodes, too. He's doing like a more current at that time pair of shoes, too. So it, he did it twice. He did. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. seems like maybe the most peaceful moments he would have on a game day were those, I don't know. He was taking his time lacing his shoes 10 minutes, five per shoe. Seems ridiculous, but uh, yeah, he was yeah. certainly savoring those laces. <laughs> I will never get sick, though, of seeing that stuff from like the behind the scenes in Barcelona. Like some of that we have seen, like particularly the greatest game that nobody ever saw where, yeah. you know, he's, uh, the, the teams are sort of split and then the, and that, the team led by Magic is leading and then he starts talking trash and Jordan goes out and then just destroys everybody. I just think that stuff is great. And then you also just see how Jordan felt in that environment that he didn't have to be the best player on that team when they went up against other teams. Though He was more like, I'm going out there to play golf and have fun and, uh, you know, we're going to win these games. But this is not like he has to shoulder the load out there um so i i love seeing that stuff because that that team is just incredible when you think of the legends and the and the hall of famers who were on it and they all came together at the right time and then they just went out and, and destroyed their opponents and of course there's the the link there with tony kukoc as well which i thought was uh which was a good story to tell i mean again we we kind of knew a lot of the background of that if you're a basketball fan that jerry Krause was a big fan and he was trying to get tony kukoc and jordan and Pittman didn't like how much love he was getting and so uh they wanted to send a message to him at the olympics so i, I love Love that stuff and um i also love how jordan just is walking out into the olympic stadium 
in that uh, really funky outfit that he's got on. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like a one piece, but it's not. But he's just sort of strolling out to the Olympic Stadium by himself, and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. He just decides, I'm Jordan. I'm going out to the Olympic uh, Stadium, and yeah, I'm just but hang you've out. Uh, you've seen that footage before. No, I, I, most of it, yeah, most of it. But I'm saying, I, I don't, I don't tire of that. You know, I, I, yeah, I think that's a fascinating moment in not just uh, Michael Jordan's career, but in in, in the basketball turning. Uh, turning around a lot in, in terms of the world impact that it had, you know, because th- that's when the Dream Team, obviously the first time professional basketballers were allowed in the Olympics, and, and they were more than just, like, good basketball players. They were celebrities beyond anything else. And, and I think that really elevated the game to sort of where we are today as far sure. as uh, the international exposure. It's yeah, unique well, to see Michael Jordan and his status sort of, taken down a notch because it's not just basketball it's the it's the entire world playing sports it's the olympics and so he's sort of one of the americans he is obviously the american but when they're talking about reebok being the the, the sponsor they want obviously him and the rest of the or the rest of the american team to be sporting it it's just nice to have mj sort of sort of like one of the rest of the guys like one of the rest rest of the athletes like it, yeah. it's just he and he feels that way in terms of yeah, playing with Bird and Magic and Barkley, he is yeah, then he is the king of that team. But um, it's just nice to see him a little bit more human uh, as opposed to the the guy on the pedestal. Well, what did everybody think of Jordan's denial that he had any real influence on Isaiah Thomas's <laughs> exclusion from the Dream Team? Because that's unconvincing. That's, yeah, right. I mean, this is yeah. that, that to me is, a, and that's why again, why I love these episodes. Like that's yeah. like a, was a real head scratcher because we know it's on record. Um, Jack McCallum, right? He wrote that book in, or I guess was told in 2011 from Jordan, quote, I told Rod Thorne, I don't want to play if Isaiah Thomas is on the team. That's what he says then. That's the written word. That's his quote. And then we get in this doc more of a like, hey, it was everybody didn't like Isaiah. Yeah, maybe I didn't like him. I didn't want him there. But, you know, we have Wilbon saying, well, Magic, you know, had history and and. Um, beef with Isaiah Thomas, same with Bird, same with Scotty, you know, Carmel Oh, we know didn't love, love Isaiah Thomas, so it was more of like a team sort of dis- decision, but I'm calling a little bullshit on this, you know, revisionist <laughs> you history. You don't need to call a little bullshit, it's total bullshit, because he yeah. said, you can blame me if you want, but it wasn't me. Like, so no one accepts blame for something if they had nothing to do with it. So I, I, I think, I don't know why Jordan even tries to sort of hide it. We know the animosity he holds against Isaiah Thomas and we also know the power that Jordan had at the time he was the best player on the planet Isaiah was at the end of his career Jordan could have quite easily said I was going to play under one condition Isaiah doesn't I don't really care about the rest of the players and he could have said that and no one would have been like oh my god I can't believe he said that it would have been more like that's probably what more we thought he was saying at the time, but now he's sort of trying to deny it as if there's some sort of uh, secret that he's trying to cover up. So I think, I think again, it's just Jordan, you know, when he's being interviewed for this, he, he's trying to sort of, you know, pretend that he's not, not a total bad guy. But, he, but I don't, again, also see him as a bad guy for saying that. That's what happened. So say it. And, yeah, and people will yeah. then believe more of that beef, just how intense it was. Yeah, he could easily approach it the same way, saying, yeah, it was kind of my idea to not have Isaiah on, but honestly, nobody else was going to be fighting for Isaiah to be there, you know? So maybe he was the biggest voice, but it's not like there were backers, and he's kind of... It was very strange to see that, you know, 30 years later, he's kind of trying to stick to this story, despite the fact that everybody else knows the other story. You could have told it a different way. Yeah, yeah. He, He led with the fact that he respected Isaiah, 
mm-hmm. and yeah. deeply, and and you know the butt was coming, uh, and that he he obviously prefaced the hey I talked to Rod Thorne and I didn't say anything with the I respect that guy a lot. And so those two sentences go hand in hand, and we know who the maker of this documentary is. It's it's MJ, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so yeah, that's I think that's a, a fair criticism of several things in this documentary. It's a fair criticism of that. We don't get other sides of it. We don't get the full story, uh, and even a few things later on um, in, in in this particular episode, like the activism when uh, there's a, a North Carolina candidate up for the Senate, a Democratic mm-hmm. candidate. MJ says, I don't want to back him. He, he just doesn't want to get involved in politics. He doesn't want to be a role model this, in, in that sense. And Barack Obama is interviewed and he says, you know, it is it is a little disappointing that he wasn't that type of guy. Mm-hmm. And so we don't get we don't get into the layers of why that is, of why MJ doesn't want to, to be that guy. And that's it's totally fine. He doesn't want to be that guy. But it's obviously there's so many more layers to that. We don't get any Craig Hodges. We don't get any background into deep into the gambling we don't even get later on when he's smoking a cigar and laying on the couch and it's 98 and he's basically saying i'm tired i'm done we don't even get that to, into the depths of the throws of that where you know and we might could, we might that right? well with that yeah i doubt it i mean we're already everybody's already claiming it's jerry Cross ended this team well while he's sitting there and he does talk to him about Rashad a little bit but he just says i'm done and so we're, we're all claiming that Krauss ended this but at the same time right there's there's a lot of layers that hey it's it's his doc and he's making it the way it is or well, making J- it sorry sorry to cut you off there Tess. i was curious what jd like not being a diehard basketball fan as much as us like were these you know we've heard heading into the last dance like oh mj's a little worried right like he might come off looking a little different to some people maybe the casual basketball fan maybe like you, yourself jd did that happen here were these the episodes you could see why MJ was concerned that he would come off like looking a little different than that perfect, you know, Nike Gatorade, you know, pitchman that we knew in the 90s. Oh, for sure. I mean, he yeah. he addresses it, but you know, there's the gambling thing. Um there's the the politics thing, and then there's the fame thing. I as a casual fan looking in for the first time, uh, I started to understand why he would want to leave when it seemed like he was at the top, right? Like sure. I thought they did a good job of illustrating Hey, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck in this hotel room and everywhere I go, just they did a day in the life, the slice of life kind of thing. And it's just people and then more people and then more people in his face. And I, yeah. and from that perspective, I can kind of understand why he didn't want to take uh, a stand politically because those are those people are adoring him wherever he goes. He's being adored. But if he rubs people the wrong way, then he has the same amount of people coming at him, yelling at him and angry with him, you know, which is infinitely worse, I think. So I, I as a as a casual fan, started to understand why a guy like that would want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree. And you know, he's playing with a guy in Barkley who who declared the same thing, that he didn't want to be a role model. Um, but, you know, there's more layers to that. Uh, I just I just would have. I just, you know, would have liked to see the the depths in the mind of Michael Jordan and why he decided just to to step back from it. And and even the two three-peats, as you look at them in, in the 90s, I, I think another part of why he was tired and done was that he had already attained what Magic had attained and what Bird had attained and what Zeke had attained. 
and passed it with a three-peat. And, and yeah. there wasn't anything else uh, to attain. And so I think that, that also played into, hey, I don't have to four-peat. Those guys didn't even three-peat. So I, I think that if we, if we got more behind the scenes of Ahmad, him talking to Ahmad, it seems like Ahmad <laughs> was his guy. Uh, his main man. That's yeah. his main man, yeah. Ahmad looked great. Mod looking great. Um, Lee, I want to ask you just to go back to the Dream Team because I know you love it so much, and that's fair. Uh, you know, 11 NBA players, right? Jordan, Magic, Larry, Carl, Barkley, Pippen, Stockton, Ewing, Robinson, Clyde Drexler, Chris Mullen. Then there, there's C- Christian Leitner. Um, <laughs> too bad it wasn't Shaq. That would have made it even more of a Dream Team, but yeah. whatever. Of the 11 NBA guys, I love asking this cue. Who does Isaiah Thomas, in your opinion, make over one of those guys got to come off let's say Leitner's got to stay there for whatever reason the dumb college yeah. one guy on the team so who are you taking off or and it could be multiple guys who yeah. do you have Isaiah over him well Stockton John Stockton Isaiah was a better player Stockton had a great season no doubt uh, and Stockton was on the rise and the Jazz were on the rise but Isaiah was a better point guard Isaiah is a better player um, that's pretty obvious to me and and that's okay. That, to me, is it, it should have been Isaiah and Shaq on the team instead of Leitner and John Stockton, in my opinion. And uh, right. they would have, I mean, would it have affected the result? I mean, they, they crushed everybody no. anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, the answer is no to that. No, no. I, I mean, in, in the sense, like, would they have been, like, more dominant? Like, like probably not, because they just went out. <laughs> yeah. They were just blowing everybody out. But, but those are the two clear, uh, you know, uh, errors with the roster. You know, Isaiah was left off for personal reasons and, and Shaq should have been there, but they went with Christian Leitner, the good old white boy from Duke, and they shouldn't have done that. So, right. you know. But, well, I mean, uh, Leitner was a dominant college player, Lee. He was yeah. coming off four straight Final Fours. Yeah, I know, but Shaq was going to be the number one pick in the draft that year. So, Or he already was the number one pick in the draft. So, you know, he should have been there. I mean, Shaq was a, a better player and, and a, you know, and a more dominant player. And, you know, he should have been there. It shouldn't have been Christian Leitner. I know it's easy to just pluck Stockton off and put Isaiah in because they play the same position. But Isaiah yeah. could make could easily make it over five other guys on this list. Yeah. In terms of like his rightful spot on the oh, dream team. Sure. Like Clyde and Chris. And like I'm not trying to knock their games and no. they're Hall of Famers, but Isaiah's better in the pantheon of all time greats than those guys. Oh, of course he is. I mean, it's depending on who you talk to and, and some of the guys who have been around the league a long time have Isaiah as the second or third best point guard of all time behind Magic and Oscar Robinson. And, of course, those things are totally subjective and totally at the, at the time of who's yeah. covering it and how much of the league you've seen. But not many people would have Isaiah lower than sort of fifth all-time in, in, in all-time point guards in the NBA. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not a many. Some would, but not many. It is funny, like, thinking back to this again, which is definitely a little revisionist history here of, hey, not MJ saying, you know, not just me. It's like, uh, you know, what, I, like, Isaiah not on the team, all these other guys, and Wilbon making that point, like I said. It's like the equivalent of, like, let's say JD has a cottage, right? Like a cabin. <laughs> and the criteria to go to the cabin is uh, it's, it's going to be a no-dunks hang, right? If you, if you uh, put in some time on the podcast, if you were a member of the no-dunks crew... You're invited to the cabin, in theory. Like, you have the right to go to the cabin. But, you know, JD, for whatever reason, he's not feeling Lee. He doesn't want Lee there. (laughs) And the rest of us, instead of us going, like, task me and Trey, like, you know, JD, come on. Like, you know, he's part of the team. He's definitely deserving to come to the cabin for a weekend and hang with the guys. We also are like, eh, well, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's your call, JD. It's your call. It's your cabin. But like, we are also having some play in whether or not he's on or off the invite list to this cabin. Do you know what I mean? But in the end, 
it's JD's cabin, and he is the Jordan in this example, <laughs> this weird example, and he could have just said, I don't care, I want him there, he's deserving to be there. But he hated him, and everybody else was like, well, I sort of got beef with him too, so... Good but not the part, invite JD. The, 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 one, the one part of it, though, for me is weird is that Chuck Daly was the coach, you know, and Isaiah oh, yeah. and Chuck had been so close for so long and they'd won the championships, they'd gone through battles, they planned against Jordan and Pippen yeah. and had all those rivalries. And I always wondered, you know, how did Isaiah feel with Chuck all of a sudden just being like, yeah, sorry, man, nothing I can do about that. Where are my golf clubs? I'm going to play golf with Jordan now. Right. You know, I, like that. that's fascinating. Obviously, Chuck's no longer with us, but... Um, that to me is a storyline I think as well that should have been looked into a little bit more because it's like that you know you think of the relationship that those two guys had you know Chuck loved Isaiah Isaiah loved Chuck and then when it comes to this surely Chuck could have said to Rod Thorne as well like it's a great honor but I can't I can't not coach because Isaiah's not there because no one wants him to coach I mean maybe he said something like that maybe not maybe he just decided this is a fantastic opportunity i can't turn it down but it's still a little bit weird to me that uh that that's how that played out that 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 relationship that they had built up and worked on for so long didn't have didn't give chuck some credit or, or yeah. some uh leverage i guess when uh, when they wanted him to coach the team question about the uh, the cabin skeets yeah so uh, isaiah thomas <laughs> slash lee ellis isn't yep. coming uh, yep. we're, we're at the cabin. We know Isaiah Thomas slash Lee Ellis have, has a, a champagne line called Sherlin Champagne. <laughs> yep. Are we popping Sherlin Champagne Ooh, at, wow. at the cabin to, to rub it in? Well, I don't know, because this sort of goes back to our debate about Aaron Gordon having yep. Wade's uh, uh, wine in his music videos as a exactly. diss track. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. I think we are, Tess. We're, we're, rubbing it in, we're rubbing it in Lee Zeke's face a little bit more by having his champagne. Oh, there's a lot of layers to this. You said you're a better rapper than Aaron Gordon, or, or you are the, the media Aaron Gordon in terms of rapping. Yeah, uh, you you can be rapping, you can be swishing some Sherlin champagne. I don't know, and maybe yeah, maybe there's a Ellis diss track is what we're getting at. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's on the right. I wonder if Zeke does even more media this week because he was asked to do it last week mm. after after the Dream Team was um, was teased, and, and you know, when we had our our interview uh, with executive producer Curtis Polk, he he mentioned Zeke or uh, MJ is going to speak glowingly of Isaiah Thomas in, in a future episode, and. He did say he, you know, he respects him greatly, and that he puts him absolutely at number two behind Magic Johnson in terms of the, yep. the point guard list. I wonder if Zeke has to go do the media circuit again one more time. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just pouring salt in, in the wound of Isaiah. But I don't know. I, I could see him doing the circuit again. And, and the Chuck Daly thing, he wasn't. It didn't really come up in the in the last week of, of of the media circuit, but it just shows you the power of the players. I mean, Chuck probably didn't have. Uh, much yeah, of a he doesn't have at that all. kind of pull at all. If you've got nope. Michael Jordan playing in the Olympics, they're like, oh, so you don't want to coach Michael Jordan? We could get literally anybody else. Anybody. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And, and and as far as Barcelona, I we all know they played in Barcelona in 92, but seeing some of the shots being there made me realize, God, those guys were in Barcelona. They must have had some fun. They must oh. have had a, a great time in 1992. <laughs> Less cameras. Uh, they must have had a blast. But, yeah, the, the cameras on the court were... That was awesome. That yeah. was awesome. And we did get, like, uh, we slipped it in there, too, um, around the whole Dream Team 92. We do get some, uh, you know, some young Kukoc highlights. 
Or sorry, am I saying his name incorrectly for the past 25 years? <laughs> I don't know. Take your choice. There was a Ku Coach, there was a Ku Koch, and a Ku Coke. All three are fly in the 90s. We've come a long way, Tass. I know you like uh, you know like to get it correct, right, in, in pronouncing some of these international names. Man, yeah. we've come a long way with all of the, those uh, interpretations of how you say Ku Coach. It's good to see Charles Barkley hasn't changed one bit. He was still he was pronouncing names wrong then. Kukok or whatever he was saying. He, he wasn't. He didn't even care. Uh, you know, it was more of an insult, I think, to not pronounce his name right. And now he's he's going Valentini wants us when he's talking about Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> so things things haven't changched. But Kukoc angle was is so interesting. The fact that he is the subject of anger from MJ and Scottie Pippen because they're mad at Jerry Krause and they just mm-hmm. take it out on Kukoc the first time they see him. And I love the fact that we get more of the. The second game that they play, at least we see that Kukoc bounced back yeah. in the in the final in the gold medal game and had a sixteen and nine game because usually when you hear the story, you know they destroyed him. He had four points in the first time, the first game, but at least we see you know Kukoc and some skill in that second game and going at Scottie Pippen and uh, and showing those skills. And it was awesome to see that, you know, they go out there, they destroy Kukoc game one, he plays fine in the finals, and they're like, wow, that was pretty impressive. When also, you know, maybe a half hour earlier in the documentary, it's six years later, Kukoc is sitting in the locker room with Jordan when he pulls out the Jordan ones, and Kukoc is like, wow, that's what I started playing with in 1984. So imagine what he was thinking. He's been loving this guy, Michael Jordan, from afar for his entire basketball life. He finally gets on the court with him, and Jordan and Pippen just are trying to destroy him. No wonder he had such a tough first game. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I know we've seen, oh, there's been a doc, right? And, if, and obviously a lot written about the infamous Dream Team practice in Monte Carlo. Um, the one little part I didn't remember, at least, or maybe it was a new little piece of information, the idea, like, after it, and that was awesome, and that footage is so cool, Um that you could like cut the tension with a knife on the bus. Uh, we're told that little story until sort of magic, uh, you know, it put everybody at ease making the joke with Bill Barkley and, and basically pissing off Jordan. Shouldn't have uh, really had said anything mm-hmm. when they were up big. I, I love that. I, love, I mean, and that's, I love just how glowingly they, they all talk about a practice, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy yeah, it's, to think. A lot of them say it's the best game they've ever yeah. played in. Like Magic Johnson said the same thing, you know, and, uh, and I like how he sort of owned the fact that like he called Jordan out and said, you're going to have to turn into where Jordan to win this game. And Jordan does, and they go out and win the game. And uh, it, it's just awesome. And again, we, there's that whole um, documentary, The Dream Team, yeah. which, is, which is great. And, and it delves right into that. But, uh, I just love seeing again that those, those that old footage and just seeing how Magic's just talking nonstop, nonstop the whole time, and uh, it w- uh, it would be just amazing to have been in the arena for that one. Yeah, and then Jordan basically just comes back by scoring every single point and then saying, "This is the '90s." Yeah, withering trash talk. <laughs> like he, Magic's like, "What do you mean it's the '90s?" <laughs> the only the only thing from the the whole. Um, you know, Barcelona Olympic Games here within this last dance doc that I wish we sort of got an answer to. And maybe I missed it, so tell me if I'm wrong, guys. Whose idea was it to cover the Reebok logo with the American flag? Like, was it MJ's? Was it a Nike employee? Was it, like, I'm just fascinated by that. Like, hey, this is a big controversy here. They want you to wear the Reebok. He's like, okay, well, like, who said, who came up with the idea? Well, I'll just drape a flag over my shoulder and you can't see everything. It's a great question because they do have that scene in the car where MJ is literally like, Harvey Schiller, 
What a dick. So it was obviously in the air that, you know, Jordan or somebody would be covering this thing. I don't know who actually came up uh, with the idea to basically pin a flag to your shirt, but uh, it's hard to get mad at somebody for having an American flag on when you just won a gold medal for the United States. It's so brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's Teflon. You can't say anything to it. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm so proud to be an American. We just won gold. I am draping this over my entire body. But even Marv says in the commentary, says, you know, maybe not for entirely patriotic reasons. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's pretty pretty big of him to call him out like that on the broadcast. Yeah, smooth, smooth. Um, Prior to the Dream Team stuff, I wanted to slip this in here. I have a question for, I guess for Trey, maybe Lee, you can speak to this too. Tass, of course, jump in. We hear the idea that, I think it's Wilbon that says it again, um, and I, I know BJ Armstrong has echoed these sentiments, that the 92 Bulls were the best version of the Chicago Bulls, of all their championship teams. Trey, do you agree with that? Do you think it's another uh, 90s Bulls team? What's your take on that? I don't know. I was actually a little surprised that the 92 season was kind of skipped over so much because that was the first real series against the Knicks. They had played in 91, and Jordan had that huge dunk on Patrick Ewing, which kind of changed the way the Knicks were going to approach the Bulls. They're like, we got to be like the Pistons. We got to knock them down every single time. But... Mm -hmm. You know, they had 67 wins, I think, in the 92 season, the most they had had up to that point, and they honestly dominated, but they were also close to elimination, right? They were playing Mm -hmm. in a Game 7. I was very surprised that we didn't get that at all. We got that one game in the finals where Jordan hits the six threes in the first half, and that was basically it. I mean, obviously, they were saving uh, the Knicks beef for 93, which a smart move, but... um, Yeah, uh, the 92 season has kind of been a little bit forgotten because, you know, I think people think the Blazers are one of the the worst teams that the Bulls beat in the finals. Um, Considering, you know, it was like Barkley the next year and it was Magic the year prior. Those guys are higher on the list than Clyde Drexler is. But, uh, yeah, it's easy to get lost, but the 92 team was incredible. For me, it was like 91 kind of taught me how to love basketball and how to really love a team. And then 92 taught me how to really hate a team by watching the Knicks and watching that series where it's like Xavier McDaniel, Doc Rivers, John Starks had his big dunk. You know, that was the team that I really learned how to hate. Um, But, you know, they came back around in 93, so we got to talk a little bit about that there. That close-up of Clyde Drexler after getting cooked in Game 1 or while getting cooked in Game 1, that was gut-wrenching. <laughs> like, oh, man, that, yeah. like, you know that, that one shot I'm talking about? It was on him for so long, and it's just like, oh, my God. He's like just a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, we're screwed here. He's hitting six threes. And, like, because going into that series, of course, there's the whole MJ versus Clyde talk and who's the best yeah. shooting guard, blah, 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 blah. My God, that shot's amazing. Well, you see the theme throughout this, how, you know, he was looking for reasons to get fired up and to, to yeah. you know, come out. There was a Drexler. Later, you get to Dan Marley, of course, the Tony Kukoc in there as well. So that's, uh, that's what we hear about Jordan, that he was always looking for some sort of slight to go out there and, and just destroy an opponent. And, and he did that. But for me, it's tough to go past the 95, 96, uh, you know, 72 and 10 Bulls. I think they lost, right. what, three playoff games. You know, and, and two of those were when they're up 3-0 on the Sonics. So in, t- in terms of uh, total dominance, I think it's probably still that team. It, it, it's hard to, you know, you're splitting hairs a little bit when they were a good team. And if you're, um, you know, you're looking back like they, I, I still can't believe they lost two games to the Blazers, really, when you think, think about how they won that first game and how that series eventually played out. Portland, you know, did, did play well. They sort of overcame that first uh, tragic mm-hmm. loss. But yeah, I think, I think when you look back at it, you know, 72 and 10, just it, no one even got close to them in the playoffs, really, uh, other than the Sonics when they got those couple of games back. So I, I would pick that team as the probably the most dominant. JD, 
you had slipped it in there when you were saying as a casual fan, like learning maybe some of these things and his his uh, MJ's apolitical stance, right? You know, maybe more, one of the more critical parts of the doc series so far. Um, did you think, I thought at least, I'm interested in your take, I thought they handled that a little bit with Kid Gloves because I don't know if you noticed how uplifting the music was <laughs> under that, again, fairly controversial part, you know, where he doesn't want to do the commercial, he never thought of himself as an activist, they're comparing it to Muhammad Ali and all that. What, what, did you notice that too, or was I crazy? Yeah, 100%. But, I mean, I think everybody, even uh, Obama was uh, let him off the hook, right? I mean, yeah. they, they were just like, you know, he made a decision, and that's his decision, and we can't force anybody True. into it. And and I don't know. I mean, I was it, it brought me to, to think of the China thing this last fall and, and how uh, players be, came under criticism. And I don't know. I mean... It's so hard to put yourself in that position. I mean, there's things that I won't tweet that I don't want to get involved with. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'm nobody, right? So I can't right. even imagine that level of superstar. Um, you know, is it financial? I don't think it is because he's he's mega rich. Like, he's richer than rich. Like, how much money does he need, right? I mean... So it's more of a, I don't want to deal with the criticism or I don't want to deal with the hate and I don't want to get into it with you. And maybe it's just as a matter of I, I, I'm not as as well read as I should be on something like this. You know, I don't want yeah. to get into an argument with anybody about this. So I'm just going to stay out of it. I don't blame MJ one iota and not whatsoever. But I would like that. I would like the answers to those questions, like just to get into more more of the layers of of why MJ thought that way because because that was that wasn't a pressure that was there all the time yeah, yeah he, that's all he was asked about um for yeah in, in that in that case from his hometown uh an African American trying to be the first senator uh in his state um first African American in North Carolina in the Senate if I'm correct and uh he he obviously there's a lot more inside that he didn't want to reveal but you said he's he's super rich and it was probably not financial but he's right now he's making more every single year than he made in his NBA career combined from all his salaries <laughs> so uh maybe he made the right financial <laughs> yeah, decision maybe maybe <laughs> that's that's the thing do you believe that someone be it him or anyone can just is it okay or they, that they just, like, I don't want to speak on these matters because, A, I don't care. B, I don't feel confident enough to speak on them, um, you know, eloquently enough. Um, my opinion shouldn't matter. Like, do you believe that? Or what most people think is the flip side is like, no, you just don't want to do that because of monetary reasons. Right. And it hurts your brand and the idea that you're so beloved. I mean, that's, that's the, I don't know where I fall on that. I. I think both can be true, um, but I don't know. Who knows? And he, he says he's just like, I'm not an activist. I didn't consider myself one, so I didn't try to be one. And even that would then give him, get him in trouble because then people are like, well, you're not even speaking on this. You can't really win, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people take the Uncle Ben stance, right? With great power comes great responsibility. I mean, it's your responsibility. Right. You have reached this this level of, of power uh, and you should use it. You should yeah. use it for good, um, you know. And then, and then it's all well and good until, 
you're talking about the other guy, right? You're talking about Trump. You're or whatever. Like you just you pick the guy that I don't want you to pick. Maybe sure, maybe, sure. maybe he had a big. Maybe he liked Jesse Helms for whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he just doesn't want to get involved. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that I mean, that's not really all that close to home. Yeah, pardon the. the the physical close to home. Yeah, it was in North Carolina. But the thing that's even closer to home is that Craig Hodges blackballing mm-hmm. in the NBA where he he was. Well, speak to that task. I think maybe there's a lot of listeners that have no idea what you're maybe alluding to. Well, Craig Hodges, his teammate and, and uh, a guy who was an incredible shooter, um, helped win championships there early in the, the early nineties with the Bulls. I think he won, he won the first two. And then he never sniffed another NBA contract. Not one. No one talked to him. I think the, the Sonics apparently called and then quickly uh, deleted their number or, 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 or disconnected their number because for some reason nobody else wanted to give him a contract because he was pretty vocal uh, mm-hmm. about his activism uh, for African Americans and... That's it. He was just gone. He was just disappeared from the NBA. I mean, he wasn't uh, a huge player in the NBA, but he was a great shooter. He was in his early 30s. He went and played abroad. Uh, and, and that's it. I guess he was too vocal for someone's liking. And it, it sure seems like it's MJ. And it sure seems like it was the Bulls. But that's, I guess there's just a few things that in the, in the, um, in the doc that just aren't touched on, really. Uh, and, and the activism was, is briefly touched on. Uh, but this Hodges thing, it just seems like this is something that that MJ said, uh-uh, I'm not mm. talking about it. You didn't care. You didn't care about it whatsoever. Right. Any random observations from episode five in particular that you guys want to slip in there? Uh, does Michael Jordan have a tattoo on his left pectoral muscle? Hmm. It looked I like he does, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that before. I don't know what it is. It looked like it had faded too, but uh, that's unusual. I, I thought I, you know we would have seen every, we would have known everything about Jordan like that. But um, unless it's some sort of birthmark or something, but I don't think so. But you don't think as highly of, of Michael Jordan now that you know he has a tattoo? <laughs> no, Lee? Is that no, what you're no, trying no. to say? <laughs> See, no, you, 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 again, you're misrepresenting my stance on tattoos. The tattoos I'm fine with, just not above the shoulders. I just think that limits your career options. That's all. <laughs> well, I guess he took that to heart. He didn't put it on his face. Yeah. I also love the scene of Jordan being basically the ticket godfather. Randy Brown comes in and asks him a ticket, and he just hands it over his shoulder to him. And he's like, where do you want one? He said, uh, I'll take one anywhere next to God. And Jordan's like, next to who? Just got one from him. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just in. kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. And Randy Brown's like, uh, you're not really kidding, though, are you? Right. Get out of here. You know you've really got Jordan's goat when he tells you to get out of a room. That's like the ultimate <laughs> Michael Jordan ending of a conversation. Get out of here. <laughs> He's always in that little weird back room with the Sniff yeah. brothers. Man. Oh, yeah. I know we'll get to Wozniak in, in episode six. Um, I loved, just to go back to the Kobe part at the beginning we, uh, you know, we're getting Kobe early on. He's, he's, he's obviously, it's, it's, you know, it's still, it's still a shock to the system to, to see Kobe on camera in sort of somewhat present day and obviously knowing he's not here. But we then heard MJ talking before we saw him in episode five. And I still thought it was Kobe for a second, right? <laughs> I mean, and this is not groundbreaking, you know, information here, like not only on the floor, but just the mannerisms in which Kobe 
really just held itself like MJ is, is still wild, even in even when they got older. I mean, I it was MJ. We weren't seeing him yet, and he was talking about things. I'm like, how is Kobe talking about these things? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, that's MJ. It's just it's so just so trippy to me. Um, just the similarities between the two, both on and off the floor. I thought that was really cool. I also love Grant Hill saying, I'm not jumping with Kobe in the All-Star game. He's like, I'm not going on a poster. Screw that. And I was like, yeah, good call. You don't, wanna, you don't want that. But that was neat, too. Like, MJ and the rest of the All-Stars, like, talking about Kobe, Lee. Like, young Kobe. Yeah. And, yeah, like, that's... sort of being a ball hog type Kobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he wants a ball, he's got to go and get a rebound. Um, but already there was a sense that Kobe was something pretty special, I think. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys knew that. And they also knew more than necessarily what he could do on the court, the competitiveness and the drive that he had already, that, that he wasn't just going to go out there and have some fun and try to get some shots, that he wanted to go out there and, and win this game and, you know, and, uh, and show people that he was the real deal. So, you know, a lot of guys come from college. I know Kobe didn't go to college, but they come from college with a big reputation. But Kobe already seemed to be uh, living up to that, that people sort of could sense he was a little bit different and certainly cast in the same mold as a Michael Jordan from that sort of uh, competitive standpoint. I thought that footage was just awesome. We yeah. just we just don't get that type of stuff, and so th- those guys actually just shooting the shit, uh, was really, really, really cool. And and it's easy to, for me to forget guys who are on that team, uh, on that All Star team, like an Antoine Walker slipped in there, a, a Sean Kemp in <laughs> yeah, his Cavs uniform, um, and. Uh, Rick Smith's just being quiet on the side. Oh, you guys are talking about something. I'm I'm a first time All Star <laughs> over here. Steve Smith hanging with uh, with MJ, uh, and then you know taking it from him later on in the season when uh, the Bulls came to Atlanta and they were in a in the Georgia Dome. Sixty thousand seats were sold in this football stadium to watch um, MJ give it to to Steve Smith. Unfortunately, Smitty that was rough uh, for for Smitty, but yes, it was. That footage is just. Do you ever see that kind of stuff? I can't recall anything in in a in a locker room like that before an All Star game with with great players, other than AI shaving his cornrows and everybody, you know, having some fun with him, but not yeah. not not real talk like that. Oh no, this is definitely like the lost footage that we were hoping to see type stuff, right? That this this, this stuff because of this camera crew that was following him around, uh, we were gonna get some of this, um, you know, pull it out of the vault, and and we're starting to see it. I mean, it's great. To, I mean, every like I said, I called it basketball porn. It's like you, I just love that stuff between Magic Bird and MJ in the locker room at the All Star Game. It's so damn cool. Uh, yeah, and also, it's it's also good to see. You said Magic, MJ, and uh, and Larry doing their photos before the all-star game and it mm-hmm. was in probably the uh, the emerald room at the hotel like it was in one of those crappy conference rooms yep. that we all have to go to sometimes it's just great to see nba players have to go deal with those <laughs> conference rooms too yeah just hop down to the ground floor take a left and it's that that emerald room oh yeah yeah they're getting rid of the buffet there it'll be gone in like five minutes we have the room at 10 o'clock can you guys get out of here we got a photo shoot here with uh, three of the best basketball players in the world that was cool to see here's the real question trey from episode five um we learned right that MJ didn't really care all that much for Seinfeld, the television show, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely seemed to be a, this guy's pretty famous, almost as famous as me. Let's be famous together while we stand here. But uh, oh, it was worth it to hear uh, the quote from Jerry Seinfeld. I'm trying to make quitting the move of the 90s because, <laughs> I mean, 
it's during the playoffs, right? So it must be right around the same time that yeah. Seinfeld finally finished yep. up. And then also uh, when Phil Jackson comes in and Jerry just goes, hey, Phil. <laughs> like they're old buddies. And then Jordan's face is just hilarious. Seeing him try to like uh, chat up Phil Jackson. Jordan making the most awkward faces you've ever seen from Michael Jordan. Yeah, that was like, it was like an awkward scene. Yeah, oh, yeah. right. It was like, uh, I guess we're supposed to like each other and talk to each other because we're both super famous. But um, okay, how's it going? Like, I mean, guess it was, gotta get out. the payoff was great when Jerry was leaving, though, and like pointed at the blackboard and said, yeah. like, that's not going to work or something to Bill Wedding. That was my favorite. Lee, what did you think of that? Yeah, no, that was classic Seinfeld there, just, uh, you know, <laughs> putting his little uh, stamp on it. But it's funny, you know, I thought that um, uh, Jordan, being such a big cigar guy, that he might have a little bit more in common with uh, Seinfeld and can talk about Kramer, you know, the big, two big cigar guys there. <laughs> oh, wow. I couldn't believe... How often we saw Jordan chomping on a cigar in this uh, these two episodes? <laughs> yeah. Just nonstop. No, I mean that's like you, uh, yeah, that's salt in the wound. I think if you're any other great NBA player that lost to MJ, you're like, yeah. how long was this guy <laughs> kicking our ass? But he was like a chain smoker with cigars. It's like Winston <laughs> Churchill with uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, you often see a guy, you know, team celebrate the championship, you know, they have a cigar and stuff. But Jordan was just like, every single time we saw him just about, he had a cigar. Even, you know, in the car. I mean, on the way to a game. Like, oh, yeah. incredible. I want to know if the, those Cohibas were actual Cubans or were they uh, uh, Dominican? Mm. Because, uh, of course, Cohibas illegal at right. that time. So. Well, I think maybe Jerry that's Krause. why he quit. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get my hands on some legals. Well, Jerry Krause asked MJ for a cigar after the second championship. MJ in the hallway smoking a cigar. And, and Jerry Krause says, hey, MJ, give me one of those cigars. <laughs> so they're probably real. And MJ responds, oh, it's going to stunt your growth, Jerry. <laughs> Everybody's got to laugh at that joke. <laughs> I mean, it does make you think there is not footage out there where MJ is not, when he's around Jerry Krause, ripping on him. Oh, because no, of course. every single time we've seen the two of them in a scene together, it's MJ saying something, you know, offensive or taking a crack at him at the very least. Yeah, it's wild. And at like the top of his game too, right? It's like they're celebrating a championship, yeah. but you know what? I still got enough time to throw in a little jab here. <laughs> it's wild. All right. Anything else from episode five? I just wanted to, uh, I don't know if you guys touched on it already, but the uh, sneaker technology when he wears the, <laughs> the Jordan 1s uh, in his last mm-hmm. game at M- MSG and his feet are literally bleeding. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tass was, uh, he chucked that in there, but it was, it is amazing that he laces them up, that he wore them. They look cool as hell still, you know, yeah. obviously it, just, it looked amazing, but. Guess they did a number on his old dogs. <laughs> and he told Ahmad Rashad in the post-game interview, great great to, to remember this, that he told Ahmad, my feet are killing me right now <laughs> as he was on the floor. And, uh, yeah, technology's come a long way, as he told young Tony Kukos, hey, young whippersnapper, you don't know how bad we had it. <laughs> well, I guess he did, because Tony, Tony wore those way back yeah. when, when he started yeah, in 84. that's what he said. Yeah, a couple of great 84 references. There was that, and then when Patrick Ewing comes in the locker room after that final game, at MSG and Jordan just immediately goes had to go back to 84 to whip y'all ass and Ewing's just like oh don't start that like you know Jordan has just been killing Patrick Ewing for 14 years at that point just talking to him at all times uh so yeah that was uh that was a great little moment all right well before we break down episode six of the last dance a quick word from our sponsors 
If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawn Mower 3.0. Yeah, you're not gonna need a Felix for this lawn, boys. <laughs> the Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Hey, by the way, when I say manscaping, I'm telling you to clean up your balls, y'all. That's what we're getting at here. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC, one word. And for a limited time, subscribers can get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs. Lee, I know you like your briefs, buddy. Oh, I sure do, man. I've already tried mine on. They're great. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you already got your uh, manscaped package, did you, in the mail? Mm. I got my manscaped package, and I have to say, I've uh, tried it all out, and I'm feeling fresh, and I'm feeling fine. You got your package, and you tried it on your package. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right, so go to manscaped.com today and use the code, one word here, the athletic. If you know me, you know the only thing I like more than relaxing is chilling. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. The specially formulated CBD products with vitamins can help in all sorts of ways like keeping your composure, concentrating on what matters, quieting your mind, and of course, both chilling and relaxing. Last year, Sunday Scary CBD Gummies and CBD Oil won top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NODUNKS at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NODUNKS where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you at sundayscaries.com using code NODUNKS. Start chilling and relaxing. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state or from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Wow. The NoDunks ad reads. We're on fire right now. I mean, we're telling back you to, to cl- back to back jacks. Yeah. <laughs> Clean your pubes, chill with a little CBD, get your boner up. <laughs> Coming out with you. All right. Episode six. Um, this one starts 
with the you know how frustrating it is to be Jordan because of his popularity. And uh, MJ is quoted as saying, "This is the type of life you don't envy." Um, I thought this was really cool. I think you were talking about it earlier there, JD. How just like wow. I mean, this is. That would be heavy. If you try and put yourself in MJ's shoes, you're like, of course, be like Mike. Why wouldn't you want to be the most popular athlete in the world? But this is the flip side of it, right? Like, you can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the, I, we got a little taste of this. I mean, we talked about this before when we were uh, chasing down Kobe for a uh, an interview and we walked through. I mean, it was all-star and it was at jam session, but still – we walked from one end of the convention center to the other with him and the amount of people just yelling, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And, uh, and just in his face, the entire way through was, was crazy for, and we, we experienced it for 10 minutes. I can't imagine, uh, you're in every day for multiple years. Be that would be your experience just walking around outside. It's, it's insane. You can, Get a better understanding of why he liked golf, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he loves the competitive nature of it and all that and gambling, no doubt on it. But uh, man, you're, you're, on a, you're basically on a private um, course where people can't get to you and you're, for the most part, alone with your buddies. It's uh, got be, to be pretty refreshing after you know, that, that type of life that we saw, just going from bus to hotel and hotel to the gym and just, yeah, being inundated with people exhausting yeah watching him play golf uh, made me understand why he golfed but it also made me understand why i hate golf at the same time because even <laughs> the best basketball player in the world was getting frustrated with his driver <laughs> game his, his putt oh, game yeah. his, it's just such a hard game to perfect you have a good game mj will go out there have a good game next next day on the course uh just lousy it's just it's just the hardest game in the world. And that's probably why he loved it, because it, uh, it was a struggle for him, I'm sure. How many cigars do you think he went through in 18 <laughs> holes? Oh, man. Oh, Non-stop. Non-stop. <laughs> it, is, it is, though, you're right, Tess. Like, it's striking to see a guy like Michael Jordan sort of suck at something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it is, it's jarring. It's weird. It's like, I can't oh, read yeah. the greens. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> really frustrated, and he's, like, doing the classic, like, yeah, just don't have it today. Yeah, can't read the greens. Yeah, driver's not working. Like, classic things that you hear, you know, your buddy say when he's on the golf course, and that's Michael Jordan saying the exact same thing. It's really strange. Well, I, think, I think part of that as well, though, is just that his competitive nature is that he wanted to conquer it, and be, it felt probably that it kept beating him. So that's what kept him going yeah. back out there, yeah. you know, that, that, that drive to be, like, he wanted to be – you know, the best golfer he could be. And uh, and that, of course, leads to some of the problems that he has along the way, that people know that he's not as dominant, certainly on the basketball court, as he, as he uh, uh, certainly on the golf course, as he wants to be on the basketball court. And th- that shows a vulnerability and a weakness that he has. Yeah. During that montage where we're seeing just how exhausting it would be to be MJ, um, where it's just people, 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 MJ, MJ, MJ. There is a holy moment in that clip. Did you guys see when the guy rubs MJ's head? Mm. The fan reaches over and yeah. legit straight up rubs his head. You imagine that happening today? <laughs> oh my god! And the guy's like high fiving his other buddy, and MJ really doesn't flinch. He just 
keeps walking back to the tunnel. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, it's amazing to see just how intense the scrutiny is. And this is for Jordan in, you know, 92, 93. So we're talking early on in the phenomenon of Jordan. At this point now, he's been living this life for 30 years, which is why it's enjoyable for him to just lay in a hotel room, tuck his shirt in, and smoke cigars on the couch. (laughs) Like, if anybody else was doing this, you'd be like, well, this is some serious loser behavior. But if you go outside and everybody in the entire world's trying to grab your head, that's maybe the most fun you can have, that or being where no one else is. Why was that scene where MJ and Pippin and Ron Harper were drinking beers? Why was that black and white, JD? <laughs> Great question. I don't know. Was it yeah. being shot for something else and they just had it in black and white? Huh. I don't know. But yeah, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I liked it, though, because you, you're reminded in that little moment, I think, because they're, they're getting ready to go talk to the media, or at least MJ is, and they've just had a game, and they're having the beers, they're cracking those Miller lights. And Pippin, you're reminded that there's a camera crew, right? Like, following them around, and that it's sort of abnormal that they're seeing these moments. Because mm-hmm. at this point, MJ sort of seems fine with it, and Ron Harper even is like, you can hear him say, like, I don't care, like, you can film me drinking beer. But Pippin is still like... He's the one that's like, there are cameras here. We're drinking beer. I don't want, why are you filming us drinking? You know what I mean? Like, it it snapped me back to a second. Like, oh yeah, this was a pretty crazy ask and pretty crazy task that, you know, NBA Entertainment was following this team around that year. Yeah, it definitely shows you the status of the players, right? Ron Harper doesn't care because nobody really has an opinion of Ron Harper's image. But Scottie Pippen is certainly more famous than Ron Harper. So he cares if you're putting it out there that... Uh, you know, he's drinking beer. But meanwhile, Michael Jordan, the biggest name of all, he has control on this documentary. So he will choose if people are actually seeing him drink beers in the locker room. I just thought that was a, a cool way of showing the different levels that these three guys were at. And I like the Scotty Pippen line. We're out there in the fourth quarter. All we were thinking about was cold beer after the game. <laughs> <laughs> they really, athlete, I mean, these, they really are just like us. Oh, that's, yeah. all, that's all we're doing when we're playing on Wednesday night. Um we get the uh, the return of the Sniff Brothers, Lily. Um, yeah. At least Wozniak there, John Michael Wozniak, uh, the guy with the long, glowing or flowing, <laughs> glowing, uh, flowing Kinda. locks. Yeah, sort of was. Um, and that he's betting MJ on this very, what appears to be a very simplistic game of, uh, I guess, just call it quarters or whatever. Where I, I think the goal was to just you just put the quarter as close to the wall as possible without hitting it. Is, yeah, that's. It, is that it? Yeah. That, that's that's what I interpreted to be. That yeah. like, yeah, if it, if it hits the wall, then you're out. So you just yeah. have to get it close. And uh, and again, just seeing this guy, this you know, kind of funky looking dude, being able to really tap into Jordan's um, competitiveness and to be like, I, I can beat you at this. And Jordan wanting to be like, all right, let's play, let's gamble here. And of course, what happens is he challenges Jordan. He beats Jordan, and then the probably the the gif of the night, I guess, is when he just get, hits Jordan with the shrug for with like, the hey, shrug. I just I just cleaned out Michael Jordan. You know, look at me. I, I don't look exactly like the guy who can take down Jordan. You know, uh, Patrick Ewing couldn't do it. Clyde Drexler couldn't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but look at me, the most uh, you know unsuspecting guy who's out there actually can get a win over Michael Jordan. It was an incredible moment, but um, it's just just a fun moment as well that these guys. Yeah. You know, again, they, they see so much of Michael, so they're not as, um, you know, just sort of starstruck to see him. And they know how to press his buttons as well. And they know that he'll respond and, uh, and he'll take it in. But it's also interesting that Jordan, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, he, in, in the grand scheme of things, this is not a, a, a bad look for him. But to show that he was, 
able to relate to these people as well and he didn't just see them as like sort of people who hung around him to protect him he tried to sort of get to know them a little bit as well yeah certainly i thought uh you know jordan's not playing coins with anybody and it's just it's just interesting to see the change in his face when the guy starts shrugging at him and you can tell he's like all right this game is over because i'm gonna get really upset here if i actually keep losing to this guy so let's just move it along go protect the damn united center yeah, that's a funny line. There's a great article, by the way, up on The Athletic right now. Um, like a, a quick piece. I mean, amazing turnaround on this. Uh, getting to know this guy, John Michael uh, Wozniak, who is this guy with the with the long hair, the Tiger King hair, uh, beating MJ at, uh, at quarters. Um, highly recommend you go read it. It's fascinating. I mean, obviously, it's someone that I had no idea about. Um, he's, he's, he's no longer with us. He passed a, a couple of years ago, but his son's talking about him. There's unbelievable photos, too. Um, that his son has been sharing because he was around MJ all the time. I mean, there's one Lee that you've got to be envious. I don't know if you saw the article yet where he's like shooting hoops with MJ like in a driveway or something like that. Oh, man. No, I haven't seen that one yeah, yet. i yeah. got to go and check that out. Yeah. yeah, so it's a very, very cool read. Um, we get The Jordan Rules, the book by Sam Smith. This is a big part of this episode too um, of the what happened when that came out and sort of the backlash to Sam Smith who was getting like death threats and really though who was the snitch because sam smith is like tapped in in this book i'm sure a lot of you have read it um and he's like where was he getting all this locker room information and we're told it's horace grant though he says not so much um and then of course there have been rumors forever that it was really phil jackson right uh feeding a lot of this stuff trey what do you remember of the the jordan rules uh, exactly what you're mentioning. As far as I've ever known, it was always Horace Grant and Phil Jackson. Surely there are more people who are given little tidbits here and there, but reading the book, you know, it comes out very positive for both Horace Grant and Phil Jackson. So you have yeah. to imagine that's where um, some of a lot of the information is coming from. I didn't think it was a coincidence that Phil didn't really give much of an answer about that last mm-hmm. night. And, you know, um, the guy has a long history of politic in, in the background, which is exactly how he got the job with the Bulls in the first place. So to me, Phil Jackson is the major source on the Jordan rules, but I think there's a lot of Horace Grant, despite what he was saying in yeah, the documentary. Hor- Hor- Horace Grant's denial was uh, just as unconvincing as Jordan's about Isaiah Thomas earlier in uh, <laughs> earlier on the night there. <laughs> Big smile, like, no, not me. <laughs> he was trying to basically, yeah, not, not say Phil Jackson's name, but throw everyone else under the bus as well. <laughs> and uh, it didn't, didn't work all that well. And the fact that Horace, you know, I mean, players move on, of course, but uh, he left after those three championships. I think somewhat intertwined, although, you know, Horace and uh, Phil Jackson reconnected it with the Lakers too down the track. So that certainly gives a little bit more evidence to the fact that it, they, those two probably had some influence on that book. I like that it's uh, it slipped in there that, if it is maybe Phil Jackson, and I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you guys, I believe he was definitely giving stuff to Sam Smith, but it was like a chess move. Like he's 10 steps ahead of everything, Phil Jackson, because he's like, <laughs> I'll give this information to Sam Smith. He'll write this book. And in doing so, this book will actually bring us closer together as a team, um, <laughs> oddly. And that will then you know, be the motivation for MJ specifically to go win another championship. It's like... <laughs> Like, come on. I, I don't, maybe maybe he's that brilliant. Um, I almost hope he is in a weird way, but he's just, 
He's just seeing seeing things again, like years ahead of where everybody is at that moment. Eh? I'm Maybe doing I'm doing I'm doing all this sneaky stuff, but it's for the big picture to help us. Okay, <laughs> right. that, that's yeah, that's the plan here, and it worked. So yeah, that was right. I told you, I knew it all along. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but Sam Smith says in this doc, he says something along those lines, like it. He and maybe that's Sam Smith trying to take some credit for you know the the third championship in the yeah. in the first three P, but like that it probably it fired up MJ. <laughs> it's like well, and it, yeah, if you believe that, then you could say that Jerry Krause secretly tried to motivate Michael Jordan by by putting so much love into Tony Kukoc and right. into Dan Marley. Right. You know, like, you know, I knew I knew Jerry Krause loved Dan Marley, so I wanted to go out there and destroy him. Jerry Krause sitting back to my plans working perfectly. <laughs> yeah. We uh, not long after that whole part, we get the unbelievable uh, Bulls highlights montage. Uh, of that wicked season that they had, set to Naughty by Nature, and uh, I got I got a little emotional seeing our boy DJ Ronnie Cycli get dunked on. <laughs> that one. But that that was uh, the music. The music in these last two episodes, the music in the entire series has been phenomenal. I know there's a Last Dance Spotify playlist with all the songs they're playing, but I thought these two especially. And maybe I'm loving these last two episodes. I started to think about it while we're talking here. Maybe the reason I'm really in love with them, not just the subject matter, because, yeah, there's some of the controversies coming up, and I know we'll get into the the gambling in Atlantic City and that, but this is when, I mean, really, when I f- started to watch these games, right? These, as a, you know, a 12, 13-year-old in 92, 93, when I became a basketball fan, it's like, now I'm remembering the Bulls-Knicks rivalry. I remember staying up watching these games, and I'm remembering Ahmad Rashad, talking to him there and stuff. Like, I think maybe that's why it's really... I'm hitting these ones are hitting even closer to home for me. Um, just the nostalgia factor. I don't know if you guys think the same way. Well, certainly, I think this gives um, weight to the fact that uh, having a good Knicks team and having a garden rocking is great for the NBA. I mean, I, I thought that environment there with all the celebrities watching and just the, the atmosphere that it created is what you want to see when you go to the Madison Square Garden. You know, you don't want the, the team to be terrible and, and fans booing from the start and they're just not even competitive at any point during the season. I, I think to go into a, a place like that and seeing the Knicks really, you know, roughing up teams as well who, who came in there, you know, throwing their weight around, that's what you want to see. That's what you expect from a biggest you know one of the biggest markets in the nba and and so that to me i think is why people sort of talk about how you know nostalgic the knicks uh being good were you know because they were tough and they were rough and you know they were well coached and had star players and they had exciting players to watch and it just feels like we haven't seen anything like that from the knicks for years you know mm-hmm. i mean they've, they've made the playoffs of course but we haven't seen you know the sort of really tough physical Knicks teams that, that intimidate opponents and um, I mean obviously Jordan wins in the end but it's not as though Jordan just went in there and, uh, and blew these teams away without them even putting up a fight yeah they were just uh, the Knicks were such a perfect foil for the Bulls in that you know it seemed like they weren't going to be able to beat them skills wise but maybe they would be able to if they roughed them up because we had seen that work in the past with the Bulls but I'm just watching this thinking this is where Dave Grisham got it this is where he got going forehead <laughs> to forehead because it happens all the time so many guys that was just the way to beef in the 90s you were allowed to touch each other up a little bit uh, but I don't know it just reminds me so much of how much I hated John Starks and like how crazy <laughs> it was that that guy ended up on the Bulls for a handful of games eventually but mm. uh, it was bringing memories flooding back no doubt oh yeah we get X-Man versus MJ Starks versus MJ a couple times Oakley versus Pippen there's Ewing versus Stacy King. There's Anthony Mason throwing around bodies. Uh, yeah, this this whole Bulls oh yeah, it was like Scott Williams. Awesome. I remember when Scott Williams started playing, and apparently it was just because he was a big guy who could smash into people. Yeah, I didn't 
didn't get it back then. I was like, oh, man, this guy doesn't do anything but rebound out there. He's there to fight. And they had to use, or I mean, I think it was a smart decision by the filmmakers to use the 93 series here. We were talking about this earlier with the Bulls and the Knicks because we get to then spin into the Jordan's Atlantic City caper, as newspapers kept calling it. Did you notice that? It was always a caper. What a caper. It was like, was that a thing we were saying in the 90s? But it was it's making it's me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect because um, it's just so crazy to think nowadays the Bulls are down 2-0, and it's maybe, like, the story is, of course, on first take. It's like, oh, uh, it's he's gone to Atlantic City, and he's there till 2.30, our reports. And MJ's saying, no, it wasn't that late. It was, like, 12 or 1. I like that little part. But this was a cool part of the doc, I thought. Bring, the way, a nice way, especially we already saw the little quarters action with uh, the Sniff brothers there, but now the real gambling addiction that he has. I mean, and, he, and it's... It, it hasn't buried him, so I don't know. Can you call it an addiction if you're not if it's not hurting you? That's uh, it's up for interpretation. But obviously, love to gamble on everything, and we get into that whole slim thing where he had to pay off fifty seven thousand dollars in debt, and then other ones, and just this he just bet on everything, golf and cards, and throwing quarters for crying out loud, and to the point where his excuse for leaving, you know, New York City in the middle of a East Finals is because I want to get away from it, and. Mm. So he goes with his family, his dad included, who then handles the media after to to gamble. Can you imagine this happening now? It's like mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while you'll see, like, a player show up at Vegas during the season, right? And even then it's a huge deal. Um, Just that somebody would be out late gambling. Uh, And this happened in, you know, one of the the closest moments that the Bulls were coming to losing during either of the dynasties. But, I mean, it was all, honestly a huge story back then, too. Yeah. I recently watched uh, Game 6, 93 uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and that's the first thing they lead with. Like, Marv Albert, before talking game at all, they're talking about the Michael and Me book and, you know, how is it going to affect Jordan because he looked like he slowed down, no doubt, during Game 2 of the same playoff series. Um very crazy stuff, and also very funny that Jordan explains it away, like, trying to tell the most relatable story. It's not a big deal. Me and my dad hired a limo. We drove to Atlantic City. We lost $80,000 and drove back at midnight, just like anybody would do. What's the big deal? <laughs> it was a story a couple of years ago when DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry were walking through a Cleveland casino at, like, 3 in the morning, remember, during the playoffs, and they weren't even gambling. Right. They were just out because, you know, their, their body clocks are on a different time schedule. But the, the gambling story is, is kind of fascinating to me because, you know, everyone has a weakness and a vice, and, and Jordan Jordan gambled. He, he, you know, he liked to gamble, he liked to compete, and he liked to put money on the line. But ultimately, it, it didn't affect his family life as far as, you know, he, he said, I didn't have to sell my house or my watch. He wasn't out, you know until five in the morning, you know, just going crazy in the casino. He needed an outlet to get away from the fishbowl of the life that he lived in. And, and you know, like, he's got the money as well. David Aldridge says there, like, like Michael Jordan's good for the money. I mean, if he was gambling, you know, his entire season, uh, salary away or his endorsement checks yeah. and things like that, then it's a different story. But I think for the amount of money you're talking, even if you're talking $100,000 to Michael Jordan, he's got that money. You know, and why would he go to a casino and just gamble on the $100 tables? I mean, you know, when you're a celebrity, a VIP, and you've got all that money, you want to go to where the high rollers go. So here's the counter to that, though, Lee. Okay, we've just proven that this guy gambles on everything. They're gambling on throwing a damn quarter against a wall. (laughs) So is it the next logical jump to go, well, is he gambling on himself? Is he gambling on games that he's playing in? 
I mean, I mean, you can you can wonder if that's happening, but unless right. there's any sort of evidence to suggest that, mm-hmm. then I think you have to again, like like what would we rather him doing? Out drinking until you know three o'clock in the morning, doing drugs, going to brothels, going to you know strip parlors, and you know like getting into more CDs behavior. If, you, if he's sitting at a table playing blackjack or poker, or whatever he's playing, I think that is the least troublesome of the vices for a guy who you know we we know is competitive and he wants to escape you go back to you know when they're talking about barcelona he likes to gamble with those other guys as well on the team so he needs some sort of outlet for him and and i i think i honestly think this sort of is overblown because again he goes out and wins a championship you know he's still the greatest player in the league he comes back from a 2-0 deficit against those knicks under all these um you, you know the the, the criticism yeah, yeah scrutiny that he's under and then he finally does talk to the media because he freezes out the media. He's like, leave me alone. He talks to Ahmad Rashad with sunglasses on, mind you, would say he doesn't have a gambling problem. Now, maybe he does have some sort of gambling addiction there, but ultimately he overcame it because he was still able to dominate on the court. And, yeah, and again, his family was able to stay in place. So I think it's sometimes more looked at as like, oh, look how bad this guy is, you know, because he's a gambler. It's like, well... A lot of people gamble. A lot of people go to casinos and gamble with money they don't have. Michael does have the money. So it's uh, it's an interesting storyline. Yeah, I think that the being super rich is really what helped him overcome this because David Stern and his little thing talking about when they did an investigation, he's basically like, it never rose to a level that we were concerned about. And we mm-hmm. heard that Michael Jordan had a million-dollar gambling debt, and they were fine with him having a million-dollar gambling yeah. debt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, and they were fine like I was saying, and I was just playing, you know, I was just playing devil's advocate there with you, Lee, but the counter, yeah. like that counter about, well, hey, why, maybe he's gambling on, ga- is he Pete Rose? You know, like, I don't, <laughs> you know, the guy gambles on everything. Is it that far-fetched to think he's gambling on himself to win, yeah. you know, like Pete Rose did? But Stern is in this doc, you said it there, Trey, he does say that too, right? Like, not only were we not worried by how deep a debt he was in or how much he was gambling, but I guess they felt like he wasn't gambling on the NBA, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or... If he was, then that spins into the whole conspiracy of why he had to leave the game, right, for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. the only physical evidence that was found was that he signed a, a $57,000 check to uh, Slim Buller, the uh, the golf hustler. There's a, a good article on the the, uh, the Athletic about that. And then the other the other guy, uh, the other guy, Richard Esquinas, who claimed this was just a claim yeah. that he owed him 1.2 million, which isn't a lot of money for Michael Jordan when you when you actually think about the dollars. Uh, so is it an issue? Uh, I find the thing more fascinating was that between game one and game two, he needed to go cruise and get out and go to Atlantic City and, and hang out. The fact that everything was just getting to him mentally, how, how mentally strong a person he was, but these were things that were getting to him. And all of the... The off-court stuff and the the on-court things he could deal with, but the off-court stuff was what um, was pressing on him and led to him stepping away from the game. It, it sure felt like both times. It was just he had enough. And so I, I find that part uh, a pretty fascinating. And uh, I also find this question fascinating that was happening during the last dance last night on Twitter. Is gambling a habit? Is it is it like is it not gambling a habit? I'm sorry. Is gambling a hobby? Can you classify it as a hobby? Oh yeah, because he says that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't call it a hobby. It's it's. What's the difference between a habit and a hobby? That my my misspoke is the difference. <laughs> I misspoke. I just is it? Can you class? Uh, is it a hobby? Is it darts? Is it something? Well, is it like? 
I think it, it depends again, it, it, like what sort of control you have over it. And, uh, you know, the fact that Jordan went to the casino says, oh, it's a, it's a bad look. But as far as we know, he didn't regularly go to casinos and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. He went, again, you mentioned between games one and two, they had a loss. He was feeling the, the you know, overwhelming pressure from the media and he needed an outlet and went there. So to well, me, it's we have like, no idea how often he went. I mean, well, but it's not. It's not. I mean, you would think it would have been reporters like, "Well, he's in the casinos again," you know, like rather than this one particular time. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he went more than we do know, but I'm, I don't think it was the sort of thing that he was doing. Like every time he turned up in a city, he's like, "Right, I've got to hit the casino tonight." I think that would have been reported. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, I guess uh, Vince Carter was killed for getting on a plane before. Mm. A basketball mm. game to go graduate, and MJ, and MJ is uh, lauded for. Uh, I guess he wasn't lauded at the time. He he was he was ridiculed, and it, it was the story of the day. And Marv, with that beautiful hair flowing before the game, was uh, commenting on that. That was the story of the day for sure. Uh, before game two, and then game three, until MJ turned it around. People just wanted to find us the reason, like you, you mentioned, first take. Skeets. That's yeah. exactly what people were looking for. They oh, wanted to yeah. find the reason for the fall of MJ because he was mm. the king of the uh, king of the NBA at that point. But that's an interesting Vince comparison because if Vince hits the shot to beat the Sixers and they go to the finals, then the story completely changes, right? It's mm. like, wow, he's a hero. He's a, that's so admirable. He went, he got on a plane the same day, went and graduated, and then came back and and was the you know hits the game winner and and is. You know, is the pride of Canada and, and is an NBA star. Like, it's so funny. It's like the same thing happens. Like, Jordan is easily ridiculed way more if he doesn't score 54 points in game four and they don't come back and Charles yeah. Smith can hit a layup or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, then people are like, oh, yeah. He, he, then it goes from it's a hobby or maybe it isn't, you know, gambling to he has a gambling problem. He put yeah. gambling and staying out at Atlantic City ahead of uh, his team, right? Um, write the story when the quarter is in the air yeah that's it man that's it (laughs) write the story when the limo's halfway to Atlantic City Uh, but no I think that is fascinating Um, oh yeah and the other it's totally true. It's yeah, mm-hmm. revisionist history depending yeah. on what happened, what the, the outcome. outcome is. Yeah. Uh, but also um, interesting that he, he brings his dad and also Dolores Jordan in the first episode was talking about the Nike contract and he mm-hmm. she forced MJ to go to Nike and have that conversation. Uh, just interesting that a full grown ass man listening to both of his parents and and, and uh, those are the two people he definitely definitely listened to and the the effect that uh that they had and the effect that Dolores Jordan has on the internet everybody wants to know her skincare routine cuz she's looking glorious every time she shows up glorious she's not glorious. smoking cigars i'll tell you that <laughs> um lee let me let me ask a question game 5 of that 93 uh, east finals was charles smith fouled yeah. No, no, no. He, what, he missed the first one, got stripped on the second one, and then sort of just bobbled that third one. Really? Some the third one is the most, uh, yeah, the yeah. most questionable. Yeah. But yeah. honestly, I mean, you don't see Knicks fans complaining because they know what they were doing to the Bulls on the other side. You're yeah, not getting that call. That's yeah. right. I think that's spot on there, Trey. Yeah, um, yeah. So after that series, we, we, we get to that golf scene the one week until the playoffs. We see them golfing. We see MJ stinking at golf. We already talked about that. You, were, you did say... Um, at the end of episode five, we got that funny line from Jerry Seinfeld saying, Hey, Phil, I loved in this one when we heard MJ say, Come on, Ron Harper. <laughs> he went full name on Ron Harper. Was there another Ron like around there? Like, that was. 
I don't know. It's Come stuck on, Ron Harper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was funny. And then he had Ron Harper basically sit on his lap to ride to the yep. golf course. Uh, that yep. was the getting the gang going for golf was a very funny scene too. Hearing uh, Dennis Rodman say, "Not nah, going to Hooters. Love the wings. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting up with Cam Stewart." <laughs> yeah, and then there, and then like uh, yeah, that was cool footage. You're right. Like where they're trying to get to the bus, and Pippin's trying to be asked <laughs> from camera crews, like, "Hey, can I talk? Can I ask you a couple of questions?" And MJ's like, "No, we got tea time. Let's go. Let's go." To the point where he gets on the bus. They've managed to stop Pippin because he's too nice, I guess. And uh, you know they want to ask him questions and all that. And uh, Jordan just lays on the horn. That is amazing. I've never, I've never seen that. That is so no. funny. No, yeah, it was great. They're like, do you know how to put it into gear? Yeah. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But that's the another interesting thing, Lee, is like, you, you're right. We probably would have heard if Jordan was showing up to casinos and, you know, people would have stories about it. But there were a lot of stories about Michael Jordan going golfing on the days of games, you know, yeah. playing 36, 54 holes. He's gambling when he's golfing there. Yeah. And I want to know more about how you hustle someone in golf. You know, because uh, like, <laughs> like Slim, Slim Slim looked like exactly what I imagined a golf hustler to look like, too, <laughs> by the way. But I want to know, and I read that article on The Athletic here this morning. I just want to know, like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Okay, who hits it the furthest, closer to the pin? You know, like, all right, you, you know, you're talking trash to someone. Like, I bet you can't hit the fairway on this hole, you know, on, this, uh, on this tee shot. And if it goes off, you lose. And, and just then seeing how, you know, Jordan would try to win his money back as well. Like, okay, all right, all right, double or nothing on this one. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a birdie on this hole or something like that. I just I'd love to see. I think there's a whole documentary there on golf hustlers. I'm sure. It's gotta be because apparently Slim just taught himself how to play golf. And then uh, and then through hustling other players, he was able to uh, build up a fortune, a massive fortune. He eventually went to prison for um, for uh, money laundering and things like that. But he still was able to at least get onto the onto the uh, course and take money from uh, high rollers. So I, I want to know more about that. Oh, wait, you're interested in becoming a golf hustler? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I know how basketball hustling works. I just got to see the golf. It's just like, hmm, what are you doing? You just say, I bet you, I bet you a thousand bucks. You're not going to hit the green on this shot from the drop from the fairway. Is that is that how it works? Oh, so you want like it sounds like you want a white man can't jump version of golf. I wrestlers. absolutely do. Uh, absolutely, right. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah because I'm sure, I'm sure there's any, some best ball in there, just like the quarter. Yeah, just yeah. get it closer <laughs> to the hole first on the green. But when uh, everything in golf, when, yeah. according to the article on the Athletics today, when Slim went to court, he was dressed in his golf gear. And had his bag there because he wanted to sort of let the jury know that that's what he does. That's that's how he makes his income. So oh, that's I mean, amazing. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. I'll have to read that article. Um, the Athletic dropping incredible stuff here. Um, so we're almost done here. We get we get the '93 finals. We get uh, basically Tony Kukoc 2.0. Poor Dan Marley. Like he's just yeah. he gets lit up again just by uh, Jerry Krause Association because Krause thinks Dan Marley is talented, and he was, and thinks he's a solid defender, which he, I guess, was, and Jordan finds out that and says, nope, I'm just going to light his ass up. And, uh, you know, we get the we get at least the Suns putting up a fight in this finals. Uh, I like that, obviously. Any Barkley, Barkley's great for uh, documentaries, so we get a little bit more of that. And we also we got the most polite heckle from a kid ever. Where he said, "Don't take it personally, Charles." <laughs> that, that, kid, that kid, that kid grew up to be the father of the uh, good job, good effort kid down in Miami. <laughs> You're right. You're right. We should write the 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 most top five polite heckles of all time. Uh, I'm sure there's an article there. But uh, yeah. yeah, anything from the '93 finals that stuck out to you guys, or anything else from this episode? 
one thing I wish they would have included in the 93 finals is Charles Barkley hired like a notorious heckler, Robin Ficker, to come to game one just to heckle Jordan. He sat like right behind the Bulls bench, but he got kicked out by the end of the first quarter. So it would have been great to hear what that guy was actually saying. But um, I mostly remember uh, the Dan Marley factor because I remember people talking Marley up coming into the 93 finals and how he's going to make it tough on Jordan. And then I also remember watching the game so many times and you can see Marley in the background of Jordan as he goes by and you can see him yelling help in slow-mo. It's like uh, a little too late there, but he also has the huge air ball right at the end of game six. And then, you know, come championship parade time, the super fans are there and they're talking about, how about that Dan majorly? Guess he majorly missed that jump shot there. That's just a joke that has stuck with me for, I guess, uh, 27 years at this point. So, I don't know. Dan Marley finally started to win me back when he caught that baseball that bounced up barehanded. Other than that, I was anti-Marley. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a crazy ending to that series. It, it's they're, they're in Phoenix. They're up in the fourth quarter with 45 seconds left. They're up four points. And a miss shot by the Suns turns into a basket the other way, and then they just they just fell apart. They're up with 45 seconds left. The Bulls had a 12-point fourth quarter and won the championship on the road. And so Phoenix just finds a way to take care of that fourth quarter. Then they get Game Seven at home. Uh, it was it was it was awesome. It was fun, and it was it was good to see. I figured that Charles might throw his uh, teammates under the bus a little bit. Um, Maybe just a touch. I mean, he was he was obviously a great team guy, but uh, didn't call out his boys whatsoever. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Barkley, I thought it could have got a little bit more of the, the 92 Dream Team credit. Like, he was the best player out there, but uh, that also didn't happen in this doc. Yeah, and in that game six, two in that fourth quarter, the only points by a non-Jordan bull in the fourth quarter is the Paxson three, which is yeah. <laughs> which is pretty crazy that, uh, you know, they, they were leading going into the quarter couldn't score and then um, it's it's incredible that the Suns couldn't just hang on because a game seven at home would have been incredible in that series but it, it, it did turn out to be a good series even though you know the Bulls were up 3-1 and uh, the fans were ready to celebrate there in Chicago and, and uh, you, you talk about their skeets that Charles has that great little comment um, after game five you know where uh, what do you have to say to the Bulls fans and uh, I take that take all that stuff down take all the um, signs yeah take all the signs down because they were uh, they were ready to celebrate that night i also uh, hope draymond green has been watching these episodes especially episode six where we're seeing obviously mvp charles barkley mm. mm-hmm. yeah you're not as good as him man <laughs> you're not even close charles barkley was a problem uh mm-hmm. and uh and i thought that was cool too when he find when even charles is like damn i thought i was the best player in the world yeah and he's like Maybe I'm not. <laughs> Maybe it's Michael Jordan. I think it is Michael Jordan, but yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, Barkley was incredible. Just incredible. Uh, oh, yeah, player. the and one with the two hands up to celebrate, a classic celebration from oh, back yeah, in the day. The- but, Tass, you mentioned that layup right at the end. Uh, I just remember thinking at the time, once Jordan got that layup, I'm like, they're going to win. They're going to win this game because that was such an easy layup for there to yeah. be less than a minute. Yeah. In the game, he goes coast to coast, and basically nobody touches him. Just goes around two guys. Um, Flash forward to 98, Jordan 
uh, out of a timeout gets a super easy layup against the Utah Jazz in Game Six. Yeah. You know, not the not the strip, but the one before that where he just gets it at the top, goes right around Russell for a layup. They look yeah. almost the exact same the way yeah. they finish. That's when I knew the Bulls were going to win that one in Game Six. <laughs> it happens to teams in finals. They're just not ready to close it out. I mean, we've seen it. They just they just stopped. Phoenix just stopped playing. They had a lead, and yeah, and they let MJ go coast to coast. Uh, we were there for the Raptors game five. Just forgot to close out a game there. Uh, the, the, the Thunder should have closed out the Warriors in 2016 there. Didn't happen. The, the winners at least have that mental advantage. Like, we're going to close this game out at the very least. You see it from time to time. That was, yeah, that layup was, was bonkers. My only uh, random observation, maybe you guys have more, but my, I guess it's a question. Um, TK, did you ever consider or will you ever consider getting a two-tray vanity plate? I'm moving back to Illinois. I'm getting the old school plate. That was amazing. That was like the most uh, Illinois scene that I had seen in this documentary so far. Michael Jordan sitting in the rain in traffic on 90-94, not able to even get anywhere. And he's just so mad. He's like, oh, man. I'm never going to get to work. That's what it seemed like to me. He was just sitting in traffic trying to get to work. I'm like, I've sat there before, bro. I only ever saw Ozzie Guillen pull up a neck, uh, pull up next side of me uh, on a Chicago freeway. But it's great to know that Jordan might have been out there rocking the two tray. The guy loved his vanity plates. Yeah, and, and that's when he had the cigar in the car with Ahmad Rashad on the way oh, to yeah. a game. I'm like, wow. Did not know that. <laughs> He comes into the arena, he's, he's got his beautiful suit on, he just reeks of cigar smoke. Though. Imagine that. <laughs> oh, Imagine yeah. the other guys in the locker room just like, oh, man, get away from me, that stinks. <laughs> Did no one smoke in Australia? I mean, this is like no, not, not, revelatory not, to you. Not cigars prior to a game in the car. You know, when you got a camera crew, you'd think at least you'd go, ah, oh, you know what, I got the camera crew, I might just uh, not have the cigar today. But instead, it's like, no, this is what I do. Enjoy it, everyone. <laughs> it is funny to think, we talked about this uh, in some of the previous episodes of our recaps, but like, if this was airing when it was originally scheduled to air, which was during the finals, and like on the off nights, and let's say LeBron when the Lakers are in the finals, it would just be, it, like, I just can't, I'm trying to wrap my head around, of course there's still comparisons going on, don't get me wrong, it's not like that's been muted or quieted or anything, but you imagine how ramped up they would be where... All we talk about with LeBron is no one treats his body, any athlete treats his body better than LeBron James and puts more mm. money into how he takes care of his body and all that. And like the opposite of that is MJ smoking cigars 24 <laughs> 7. And then there's like, oh, you know, like the whole gambling thing, the whole being, you know, uh, opinionator or an activist of some sort standing for something and putting it out there. That's, that's LeBron. We like, we applaud LeBron and he takes a lot of flack for it too. But for the most part, it's very, it's applauded. He's, he's got principle. He lets you know, it doesn't care if he's going to lose dollars on it. And then you would be comparing that to this, to MJ back in the nineties. I mean, it would just be cranked up to a hundred if this was going on during the finals. Right. And he was there, and LeBron was in the finals. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very strange to go back and, you know, watch, them talk about Jordan's dignity and class now knowing the entirety of Jordan's personality, or at least more of Jordan's personality than they let you in on in the 90s. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy to think what LeBron would be like in, in that era, not just from a basketball standpoint, but from a dealing with the media standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, JD, anything you wanted to add to uh, the last two episodes we saw here? No, I mean, uh, I... 
really enjoyed the nostalgia as well, even though from a non-basketball perspective. The mm-hmm. stero- shout out to Stereo MCs, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it's great being back in the '90s. You know, I just love it. <laughs> All right, well, let's call it there. That's what we thought. Let's hear from you guys about the last two episodes of The Last Dance. Email us, nodunksattheathletic.com, or tweet at us at nodunksinc. Do you think these have been the best two episodes so far of the 10-part documented series? Well, let's hear from you. We got a bunch of new podcasts lined up this week, so make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods. Tomorrow, it's the mighty return of Who Wants Some (laughs) Trivia. Trey, it's your turn in the pressure cooker. Are you ready? I hope so. I've been waiting for this all season long. We'll also have an interview with NBA photographer Nathaniel Butler. We've got that lined up. Obviously, has taken some iconic NBA photos, a lot of them about Michael Jordan. We're going to hit the beach on Wednesday to answer your questions and comments, so get them in. Thursday, we'll recap the penultimate episode of Survivor Winners at War with a new No Buffs pod. Um, yes, only two episodes remain, so we'll break that down on Thursday. And then Friday, film session. We've already locked it in. We're watching and reviewing above the rim a classic 90s basketball movie it just is got put up to netflix so if you've got netflix it's going to be a free watch for you has everybody seen above the rim it's one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time from the 90s yeah, yeah. never yeah, seen yeah, it yeah. never seen it jay well, no, i don't know anything about it lee no i haven't seen it either oh my goodness okay this is fantastic <laughs> tass i assume you've seen above the rim i've seen above the rim okay okay great. all right well this will be uh this will be fun then with uh, some new viewers here Above the Rim, that is our Friday film session. All right, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, sports are like a gunfight, and the sun's lost to the fastest gun. Brace the day, people. Brace the day, people.